Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word, hosted by Utah's own Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to sit in on the teaching ministry at Redemption Hill Church. So, get out your Bible and let's get started. So if you have your Bible this morning, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going, we're continuing through, sorry, I have got this like six week long cough that is sitting in the back of my throat. Um, I don't have COVID. I just got a cough. I'm just letting you know. Um, But anyway, we've been going through a series that We've entitled um, for pastors, leaders, and everyone else. And we're just going through uh, the pastoral epistles. Uh, we finished up 1 Timothy, and we're in 2 Timothy. And we saw that um, a couple weeks ago, as we started 2 Timothy, it is a very different vibe than his first letter. His first letter in 1 Timothy 3, he actually writes something to this. Um, Paul writes something to this young man, Timothy, who's a son in the faith. And he says, I am hoping to see you again soon. But if I'm delayed, you know, I want to write to you concerning how to conduct yourself in the household of God. So the point is, he's got this anticipation. I'm going to see you again. That is not the case in 2 Timothy. Four to five years has passed. He is now in a prison. He is in a Mamertine prison. If you don't know what that is, just picture a round circle and a deep pit and that's where he's at. He's cold, and at the end of 2 Timothy, it's very clear he does not believe he's getting out. He says, my time of departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Thus, there is a crown laid up for me in heaven. And so he understands he's going to die. He's not getting out of this one. And so this becomes his final words. As we saw last week, these are the things that are most important to him when you read. And he's writing to this young man, Timothy, who he met years earlier, who he groomed in the faith. And they're so close that he calls him a son. And so it's kind of a father-son relationship. And this relationship, you guys, was built over time. And listen, it was something that Paul trusted Timothy because Timothy earned his trust. This wasn't something that he just met Timothy and said, follow us and I'm going to give you the gospel and you're going to go plant churches. No, he had to earn trust. And I think all of us understand that, that when we're given responsibility, whether, whether it's you know, in a church, whether it's in a business, it's, it, it should be based on, on, on trust. Does, have you shown yourself to be a trustworthy person? Timothy was loyal. He was so loyal to Paul that Paul could actually send him somewhere and knew that he would be appropriate. He would rightly represent his heart. He had no worries about this young man whatsoever. He tells us in Philippians 2.19, Paul writes to the Philippian church, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered up by news of you for I have no one like him for he will be genuinely concerned for your well-being for everyone else seeks their own interests, not those of Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how he was a son and I was a father and he served me with the gospel. This relationship was forged over time and it was real and it was true and he trusted him with his very life. Paul had a lot of people that came in and out of his life. A lot of people that um, over the years that he would call or that people would call him, yeah, I know Paul, and we're friends. And no doubt, you guys, some of those seemed devoted. 
right? Some of those friends seemed uh, devoted in their relationship to him, that they would never backstab him, they would never betray him. You have friends like that where you had thought maybe at one point somebody seemed like they were a really good friend to you, only to find out, wow, with a little testing, this wasn't a friendship at all. This was something that they very quickly bailed on, and they really didn't care, right? So Timothy was tested in this. He was tested in the work of the gospel, right? Paul just didn't give him a bunch of responsibility. He watched his life, and he saw how he responded day in and day out to different people before he gave him something. And so when he says that I have no one like him, right, and, and he, he's a man after my own heart, proven worth, it's because time had gone by and relationship had been forged over time. And that is a great lesson for every one of us, you guys. Just because somebody seems like they're devoted or seems like they're a friend or seems like they got your back, be careful. For relationships prove themselves out over time. If I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever been burned by somebody you thought was your friend? Raise your hand. Most people in this room, and it brings back painful memories. Well, even though Paul had all these so-called friends, what's interesting is here he is at the end of his life, and he's by himself. Where are all his friends now? They've all left him. They've all abandoned him. In fact, later on in chapter 4, he's going to say, at my first defense, nobody stood with me. In other words, I'm in this hole waiting to die. I had stood before the, the, I stood before possibly Caesar, and nobody was with me. I looked at all my friends that were like, yeah, Paul, yeah, Paul, and they're gone. They're nowhere to be found. In 2 Timothy 1.8, he told Timothy, don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner. People were ashamed. They, they understood, man, if you were going to be friends with Paul, it was a huge liability. Everybody Paul took with him got beat. Right? When he originally hooked up with Barnabas, then he hooked up with Saul they're, or, or um, Silas. They're in, a, they're in a Philippian jail, bloodied and singing worship songs. And Silas is like, man, this guy's bad luck. Everywhere I go. And so everybody knew if you hang out with Paul, it was intense. You were going to be put in the fire. You were going to be, your faith was going to be proven. And so Timothy stuck with him. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but who can find a faithful person or a faithful friend? You guys, all of us have had friendships that we thought were closer than what they really were. They were tested by fire. Some came out stronger. Some came out shaken, and some ended. And here's the thing, that's not a bad thing. I know we get upset or we get hurt when people come in and out of our lives. And, and, and depending on how that works, we might actually have a hard time trusting people again. And so we don't want to open up to other people. We don't, you know, I've been burned once, I'm not going to be burned again. But here's the problem with that, you guys. Love is the most supreme ethic in the Christian faith. And where there is love, there is always a risk of being hurt. Always a risk. And God never calls us to close ourselves off because we've been hurt by people. The Apostle Paul said, we didn't just give you the gospel, we gave you our lives. And I dare to have anybody stand up and say they've been hurt more by people than the Apostle Paul. He kept giving his life. We're told in 1 Corinthians that the essence of the gospel really is that the more I love you, the less I am loved. That is a part of it. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you are struggling with relationships because you don't want to get close to people because you have been hurt, you have been burned, you have been wrong, I'm going to suggest to you, you haven't been hurt or burned more than Jesus has. And Jesus gets close to people. He gets close to people. You're going to have to lay the risk out there. If you're going to love God, you're going to have to love people. That's a part of it. And you know what? There's no promise you won't get hurt. There's no promise that, that, it, that it won't sting you again or burn you again. But the promise is, if that does happen, the Lord will be with you to sustain you because no temptation has taken you, which, overtaken you, which is in common to men. And he has been tempted in all ways like you and I. He knows what it's like to be spit on. Man, he knows what it's like to have somebody sit and eat with them, heat with him, and turn around and turn their back on him, betray him, and sell him out to be killed. That hasn't happened to you. And so love is a risk, folks. But Timothy had this relationship and it endured. And so Paul now is at this place where he is going to hand off the baton to a trustworthy guy who he has watched over the years. And so let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1 or chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You then, my child, as Paul writes to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men, listen, who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. About six years ago, I had what I refer to as my own grace awakening. I had always believed in grace. I'd been a pastor for a number of years. I taught grace. But something happened where things clicked for me. I viewed it differently than I had ever viewed it before. I was reading, if you have your Bible, turn to Zechariah chapter 4. I was reading in Zechariah chapter 4, and it was something that, you know, it's one of those aha moments you might have two or three in your life that you'll never forget for the rest of your life, where God's short of just ripping open the heavens, speaks directly to your heart. It transformed the person I was, and it transformed literally the way I ministered to others and how I treated other people. I had been on the receiving end of, of you know, some, of the, some of the worst attacks from one human being to another. Lies, disgusting lies. And, 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 and I just remember being in this place where, I was vulnerable to the Lord where God could speak to me. And I was reading Zechariah chapter 4. I want to I read something to you. In, in verse 1, 
it says, um, Zechariah is a prophet. And so he says, the angel who spoke with me came again and he woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. He said, it's in verse two. And he said to me, what have you seen? Zechariah had this vision. And he said, I saw, behold, a lampstand of gold with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps were on it, with seven lips in each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there were two olive trees on the right of the bowl and on the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, I don't know what they are. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone or the capstone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. <laughs> if you understand what's happening, um, Zechariah is standing in front of a heap of ruins in Jerusalem. This time called the captivity is over. They go back to Jerusalem and he's shocked at what he sees. There's so much rubble, there's so much mess, and he's come back to kind of build, rebuild Jerusalem. Now, if you want to understand or appreciate what's happening in Zechariah 4, you have to go even further back than that. In Leviticus chapter 25, God gave the Israelites a command in the law. And this particular command was about the Sabbath, specifically about the Sabbath for the land. And here's what he says in Leviticus 25. He says, you shall sow the land six years. You can sow and reap it. But on the seventh year, you need to let it rest. So the idea would be in the sixth year, God would give you enough harvest to provide and to sustain you for the seventh year. Let the, year, let the land rest during that seventh year. Very similar to the manna. You remember when Israelites were going through the wilderness. What did God say? Go out and get manna every morning before the sun comes up for six days because on the seventh day, you're not going to come out. And if you come out, it's going to spoil. And so they came out and it spoiled. The whole purpose was there was a Sabbath in that. During the time of Solomon's reign, during his disobedient years, they stopped listening to this. And they started just doing it all year, all throughout the years, seven years, no Sabbath, no nothing. They just kept going. They didn't let the land rest at all. And they kept sowing and reaping for 490 years from the time of Solomon all the way up until the time they're coming now into Babylon. They didn't obey God. They didn't listen to God. And right before, you guys, Israel was ruined by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon Jeremiah the prophet had a vision. Jeremiah lived right before this time and during the time when Babylon came in and crushed Israel and took some of them captive. And in that was Daniel, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people like Ezekiel. Those are all wrapped up. I know the Bible seems like it's super scattered. It's really close together in a lot of areas. Well, during that time, Jeremiah had a vision. And here's what he said in Jeremiah 25, 11. And this is going to all come together. He says, the land is going to become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So before Nebuchadnezzar comes in and crushes, Jeremiah says, you guys have disobeyed. You've disobeyed for a long time. So you're going to go serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now, turn, if you will, in your Bible to 2 Chronicles. 
because this is where it's very interesting. You guys, 2 Chronicles chronicles the lives, and you're turning to chapter 36, the very last chapter. 2 Chronicles chronicles the lives of the kings of Israel all the way up until Nebuchadnezzar comes in and smashes them and tells us of their decisions, what they did, how they led the people, how the nation went astray. And in 2 Chronicles, the very last chapter, in verse 17, here is what it says. The end is here. Nebuchadnezzar has come. Israel is crushed. And here's what it says in verse 17. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. That's, that's Babylon. Who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary. They had no compassion on the young men or the virgin or the old man or the aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the kings and the princes and all those he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took exiles into Babylon, those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Listen, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What is he saying? For 490 years, you ignored me. For 490 years, I gave you a law. I was serious about it. Just sow six years and let it rest seven. I'll provide for you for the seventh year. You don't have to worry about this. But the faithfulness of man was seen in ignoring God for 490 years. And what God is saying is you owe me one year for every seven. That means since you disregarded me for 490 years, you owe me 70 years. You're going into Babylon. And you're going to stay there until every one of those years is extracted from you. That's where you get this idea of what took place here. Now stay here in Second Chronicles. In Daniel chapter 5, there's a party. Who of you guys have ever been to a party where there's adult beverages? <laughs> there was a lot of adult beverages at this party. In Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, has a party. And he decides to take all of the, the, the vessels that we just read about that were taken by his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He brings them into this party, and he starts to toast the gods of gold and silver. And he's just mimicking, and everyone's having a rager, and, and they're you know, doing what they're doing. And in the middle of the party, on the side of the wall, a finger writes, Meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsen. And we're told that, that his, groin, his, his loins are loosed. It means he wet himself. Like you look on the side of the wall and you see a hand inscribing in that concrete. And he doesn't know what it says. So he calls an old guy named Daniel who comes walking in and he looks at the side of the wall. And he's like, uh-oh, you are so in trouble. <laughs> and he says, if you can tell me what that means, I'll make you second in charge of all of Babylon. And Daniel says, keep your money and keep your position. This one's for free. It means that you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. And then Daniel says, and tonight, this very night, your kingdom has departed from you. What was he talking about? While the party was going on, 
the Medes and the Persians had diverted the Euphrates River and they were going underneath the wall of Babylon, unlocked the gate and came in and took the city and Babylon fell in one night. As this is happening, folks, now read 2 Chronicles, you should be there, chapter 36 in verse 22. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Babylon has just been taken, just been destroyed. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, so it might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put in writing, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build them a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all the people, May the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. God stirs up the heart of this new king of Persia to build a house in Jerusalem. And he says, whoever wants to go, let him go up. Three groups of people went up. The first group of people was Zerubbabel and the prophet Zechariah. And they went up. And for the first time in their life, For the first time in two generations, for 70 years, they looked at the devastation of what had happened earlier, 70 years, and they were blown away. Where do we even start with this mess? We're supposed to build God something? How do you build God something when you've got such destruction all around you? This is insanity. And they stood, and and I can just imagine for the first time, they're weeping, going, I don't even know what to do. And at that moment, God gives Zechariah a vision. And he says, you and Zerubbabel, you're looking at this mountain and you're going, where do we start? How do we clean this up? And in that text, in that context, he says, this is not by might. This is not by power. It's by my spirit. And you will look at this heap, this mountain, and it will become a plain before Zerubbabel. And you will bring in a capstone to the temple's foundation with shouts of grace, grace. This is not going to be by your might. You can't clean this up. It's too much. God's going to do it. But it's not just that. When you bring in the capstone, you're going to bring it in with a declaration of grace, grace. You guys, it was during my grace awakening during this time that not only was there this mountain of ruin, just devastation that sin, other people's sin, my sin, had left in its wake. I was in this place where I was like, God, where do I even go from here? Like, how do I even clean this up? And it was here that God gave me this word. This is, this isn't your job to clean anything up. You can't remove the mess that's in front of you. God, I feel like you're calling me to to be a pastor and and to plant a church. And how can I do it? Look at the mountain, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And this mountain will be removed. The obstacle in your way will be gone and God will take care of it. You don't have to worry about this. But also, the foundation stone upon which the entire Christian life is built as the temple of the Holy Spirit, is laid in this story with the shouts of grace, grace. You guys, grace is not simply a means by which a Christian is saved. Yes, we're saved that way. It's the foundation of our entire life. 
It's everything that is built on the foundation of Christ. It's with the declaration of grace. It's the only way God will interact with you. God is not going to interact with you any other way. He is not. The, 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 the temptation is God interact with me on the basis of performance. Interact with me on the basis of my obedience. God is not going to interact because you can't interact with him on that basis. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's message encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At shoutsofgraceradio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.